You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Welcome to Historical Blindness. The following is a Patreon exclusive that I released during my hiatus. I'm sharing it now to let listeners know the kind of content I put out on Patreon and encourage more listeners to pledge. If every listener pledged at even the lowest tier, I could certainly afford to reduce my teaching to part-time and devote a whole lot more time to the show. So if you like what you hear, consider pledging support to the Patreon campaign. Other perks include exclusive teasers and early episode release. I hope to offer more patron-exclusive content as the show moves forward. Listener patronage will be necessary to launch this show beyond an avocation to a vocation, and exclusive episodes are probably just the thing that will draw more listeners to pledge support. So enjoy this blind side, a bonus look at the sensational Red Barn murder case that featured recently as background in my episode on Spring-Heeled Jack. The day that William Corder was hanged for the murder of his betrothed, Maria Martin, he stood on the gallows before a crowd of thousands who had been enthralled by his trial. The rope from which he dangled would earn a pretty penny for the hangman who sold it by the inch. Corder's skull, his bones, his ear and scalp were all separately acquired to be sold and displayed while his skin would be used to bind a book about his crime. Just what had this man done to Maria Martin to excite the morbid fascination of so many? Corder was the ne'er-do-well son of a farmer in Polstead, Suffolk, a young man with the nickname Foxy, given to such petty crimes as forging checks and stealing pigs. He likely knew young Maria Martin as the scandalized daughter of the village mole catcher who had borne illegitimate children to his own older brother and to another local man. When William began carrying on his own affair with Maria, he did so in secret, through clandestine trysts at such places as the red-roofed barn on William's family farm. Soon enough, Maria was pregnant again, this time with William's child. And with the deaths of William's father and brother, William Corder suddenly found himself the master of his family estate. He promised to marry Maria and be a father to their child, but the infant perished soon after it was born. Fearing that Maria might be brought up on charges of bastardy, they buried the baby in secret and planned to run away and be married. They conspired with Maria's mole-catcher father, Thomas, and his young second wife, Anne, who was not much older than Maria herself, to disguise Maria as a man so she could meet William at the Red Barn and run away with him. This they did, and didn't see Maria again, though after that they still saw William around town. There had been a delay in their marriage, William told them, and Maria was waiting for him in Ipswich. William stayed in Polstead, working his family's farm 
and assuring the Martins that he would soon be leaving to be with Maria at the Isle of Wight. When he left, he sent the Martins letters, telling them that he and Maria had finally been married, but that Maria could not come visit them, for they still feared she would be charged with bastardy. To explain why Maria did not write them herself, excuses were made about her having an injured hand. Meanwhile, Anne Martin, Maria's stepmother, claimed to have had nightmares in which she saw Maria murdered in the Red Barn. Thomas, therefore, went at his wife's insistence to search the barn. Armed with his trusty mole spike, he dug up one spot that Anne had indicated and to his horror found a decayed corpse that by her dress and a certain missing tooth he identified as his daughter. Around her neck was tightly wound a handkerchief belonging to William Corder. The intrepid Detective Lee, who in later years would go on to hunt the devil Springheeled Jack, was dispatched to find and arrest Corder. He discovered him in London, running a boarding house and living with his new wife, a woman he had met by placing an ad in a newspaper. Lee found incriminating letters in Corder's possession, proving he had deceived the Martins regarding the whereabouts of their daughter, and also discovered a sword and a brace of pistols that he suspected might be the murder weapons. As an autopsy had revealed, in addition to the strangling handkerchief, what appeared to be both bullet and stab wounds in Maria's body. So William returned to Suffolk to be tried for Maria's murder, and the crime immediately began to draw the public's interest, not only because of the salacious aspects of their relationship, but also because of the paranormal element of Anne's prophetic dreams, which in the telling had become a visitation by Maria's very ghost to ensure that justice was done. But what are we to think of the claim that Anne knew not only that Maria had been murdered, but that the deed had been done at the barn and that she had been buried in a certain place? Had she truly received the information from the spirit of her dead stepdaughter? Skeptics will point to rumors that arose during the trial that Anne Martin had also engaged in an affair with William Corder, that indeed they may have colluded in Maria's murder, and that she only revealed what she knew as retaliation when she discovered William had married in London, fabricating the dreams as a way to avoid incriminating herself. However, these appear to have been unconfirmed rumors during the sensational trial, as far as I can determine. And besides, it would be hard to believe that Corder would not have implicated Anne himself if she had been involved. If the story of the dreams is true at all, a more likely explanation is that since Anne knew full well that William and Maria planned to meet at the barn on the last night she had seen the girl alive, her troubled subconscious mind had simply brought the most obvious scenario to the forefront of her mind in her dreams. As for the part that she had indicated the very spot where Maria had been buried, that may be pure embellishment, as part of the story mentions Thomas had found the soil disturbed in that spot, which would have been reason enough to dig there with his mole spike.
Beyond the letters and the weapons, witnesses were found to testify that William Corder had, on the night in question, left the barn to borrow a spade and return. The case against him was strong indeed, but Corder made a convincing argument himself. He claimed that he and Maria had quarreled at the barn, specifically over William's decision to bury their child in a field, and that when William said he wouldn't marry her, Maria killed herself with his pistol. His simple defense, then, was that he hid her body and tried to cover for her absence because he feared no one would believe he hadn't murdered her. As for the handkerchief, it could be explained by the fact he had dragged her body to the burial site with it, causing it to tighten on her neck. The stabbing, though, he denied any knowledge of, even to the end. Perhaps Thomas had punctured her body with his mole spike when exhuming her. And then the police had merely made it part of their narrative, pointing to William's sword as the weapon that had done it. In his defense, appealing to the court to find reasonable doubt, Corder said, quote, Are there not many circumstances in this life which happen between two individuals, which can only be proved by the individuals themselves? End quote. And I, for one, am amenable to such an argument. There is indeed the possibility that something happened on that day in the Red Barn that none of us will ever know of with any certainty. William Corder was no innocent, and before he went to the gallows, he eventually confessed to having shot her, though he maintained it was an accident, and remained steadfast in his insistence that he had not stabbed her. Still, confessions can be coerced or given on false promises. Besides William and Maria, only the walls of the Red Barn were there to witness the truth, and neither do those remain to be examined, for they were stripped away by souvenir hunters long ago. I hope you liked this patron-exclusive Blindside episode. Remember, if you want access to ad-free episodes and exclusive teasers, as well as these blindside patron-exclusive minisodes, visit patreon.com slash historicalblindness and pledge as little as $1 a month. Your support will make it possible for me to focus more on producing content for this show.